friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. God has gifted every one of us with a purpose. And uh, I don't know what your purpose is. I don't know if it's photography. I don't know if it's uh, prayer and intercession for people. I don't know if it's uh, preaching or speaking, loving on our children. But find your place. Amen? Find your place in the body of Christ. Don't sit stagnant and think that uh, people are here just to serve you. But God has called you to also serve others. Amen? That was a side note. That was nothing in my notes. I just thought I'd share it. Uh, But God God is so good to us in church. Uh, I've been telling, telling you for some time, and uh, those who are uh, a part of this church and those who are watching online now, God is doing something powerful in our midst, something, something that, uh, that we've been praying for and asking Him for, pouring out His Spirit, drawing us closer, working in us, and our Wednesday nights especially have been so powerful. I encourage you to, again, be a part of those Wednesday night services. We only have a, a couple, a few left. Um, before we go back into once a month, the first Wednesday. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Don't miss out on whatever you need to do to get here. Make it happen because God is moving. Amen. And God's moving here in this place. And when we worship, continue to pour your heart out before the Lord in worship. Do something that uh, seems a little bit uncomfortable for you. Kind of stretch yourself a little bit. It's all right. It's not going to scare God. It might scare your neighbor, but it's not going to scare God. And we're ready <laughs> We're ready to say, God, whatever you want to do. Amen. Amen. Let's get to the word this morning. Uh, in this week's reading, if you're reading the Bible plan with us, uh, we are well on our way throughout through the rest of the Bible, and we've we've read quite a quite a bit of scripture this week, and we've read the entire book of Micah, and uh, there's been great great chapters that we've read throughout this week. But my focus this morning is going to be primarily on the book of Micah, and uh, I'm going to be focusing on the, probably the most famous verse out of the entire book of Micah found in chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, if you have been in church uh, at all for some time, you'll probably know this verse. Micah telling the people of Israel, the people of God, he says this, He has told you, O man, or humanity, what is good and what, he, uh, and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, maybe your translation says to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. How many of you have heard that verse before? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. This is where we're going to be parking this morning and looking at this text. But before we jump into verse 8, how many know that in chapter 6 there were seven verses before that? And we kind of need to know the context before we just pick out verses. I always want you to remember it's not wise just to take one verse and try to apply it to something because you might, maybe, take it out of context. Has anybody ever seen that before in people? Of course. We do it all the time. We, this is my life verse, okay, but it's not even talking anything about what you're saying it's talking about. Uh, and so we always want to know the context. We want to know what's surrounding this verse and who God is talking to when he's talking about these requirements that he's calling his people to live up to. So uh, we're going to be looking at that. And I realized last week I preached out of Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. Now I'm going to be speaking out of Micah chapter 6, 1 through 8. Not, it, it's just a coincidence, okay? I'm not planning to just preach out of the chapter 6 of every book, the first eight verses. That's not my goal, uh, but that's where we're at today. 
And so, and so maybe uh, the Lord's wanting to speak to you about 618. I have no idea. I don't know if those numbers make sense at all. But that's what we're going to be looking at. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, out of the book of Micah this morning. And as we uh, go there, let's pray. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You have a, uh, uh, verse 1 through, through 8. If you have a YouVersion Bible app you use or another uh, app you use on, a, on your smartphone or device, you can open that up now. As you do that, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you. We thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit not only to allow us to uh, experience you and to feel you, but God, to dwell within us and that you bring transformation in us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And we pray this morning that you continue to do your work in us as we sit under the authority of your word. God, we submit our hearts and our lives to your word, God, as divine authority over us. God, bring transformation in us and bring transformation through us as we walk in the authority you've given us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your peace and your joy. Fill us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Are you ready for God's word? If you are, say yes. yes. Starting in verse 1, hear what the Lord says, Micah writing. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Verse 3. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Answer me. Here in chapter 6, Micah gives this divine dialogue between God and the people of God, the nation of Israel. And it starts out here in the first three, the three verses where God is laying out this question before the nation of Israel. What have I done that you would revolt and complain against me? And in this language that Micah is using for God, it is, it is not... Uh, it's not a condemning question. God, there is sincerity in the, in the question of God saying, what is it that has caused you to turn away from my love and my affection and my provision and my, my everything that I'm giving to you? What has caused you to turn away from me? God is asking the people sincerely. He's saying, answer me. Respond to me. Makes me think of a, a child who, um, or a spouse, who, who gives you the silent treatment and you desperately need to have a conversation? Anybody ever have? No, you don't have to raise your hands, okay? Because I don't want to <laughs> expose anybody. But you ever had those moments when you're like, what is, tell me what's wrong. What is happening here? Give me some insight of what's going on in your heart. This is what God is saying to the people. Can I just pause for a moment and say how beautiful it is that God's heart is being revealed in his question what is it that has caused you to walk away from me? What is it that has drawn your heart and turned it away from my love? And I even sense the Lord saying this morning, maybe perhaps to some of us that are sitting here and watching online, today, what is it in you? What is it outside of you that is turning your heart from the love I have for you? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I care for you? And he's asking us this question. Answer me. Where is your heart today? 
I don't know. The, 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 the Bible doesn't tell us the complaints that the people have against God here, but we know that they are complaining based on God's question. Why are you revolting? Why are you complaining? But we see there is some clue, some indication here, perhaps that uh, when God calls the mountains and the foundation of the earth to give ear to the complaints that he has and this indictment he has against his people. And I think if we can pause and just look at the fact that he's calling the mountains to testify and to hear his indictment against them, we get a better clue of what might they, they might be complaining about. It gives us some insight. And let's speculate here that Micah is saying that God is calling the mountains and the foundations of the earth to hear his indictment against the people because their complaints might be connected to what we've been reading about through the Kings and the Chronicles. About the Kings not removing the high places. You've heard this over and over again if you've been reading the text. Even the good Kings, they, were, they did good in the sight of the Lord, yet they did not remove the high places. So what are the high places? What are those things that the kings did not remove? Well, in Old Testament, as they began to stray away from God, God established his, his temple in Jerusalem, and he told the people through their leadership, this is where I want you to be. This is where I want you to worship me. These are the people that I want to lead you. These are the priests and the, the ones that are going to offer the sacrifices. You're going to come together as a people because there's important things happening. God's spirit moves when the people come together, just like in church today. And he says, I want my people to gather together in a centralized place and seek my face and call out to my name. And he says it through Solomon as he builds the temple. We read about Jehoshaphat in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles, about when he gathers at the temple and says, we're in need help, and they cry out in a singular place. And yet as the people began to stray away from God, they said, we don't want to travel to the temple. That's like, a, some, for some of us, it's several hours. That's a day journey, a couple days journey. How about this? We'll build a, a shrine to the Lord, and we'll put it on the mountaintops because we'll be closer to him there, and we can cry out to him there. But the problem is, as they began to worship and, and seek after other gods and false gods, they made those shrines into places of worship for false gods. And these high places, they thought where they could call out to God in those places, and during the time of Jehoshaphat, when he goes and he rallies the people to seek after God again, he doesn't tear down those temples. What happened to those temples then? They don't continue to worship the Asherah and Baals. Now they just put God's name on it and say, no, we're worshiping Jehovah, but on the high places. We're worshiping God. Our God, look, we, we can't make it to the temple. We, it's too hard for us. But we're going to put us a place of convenience on the high places where we are going to seek God and he's going to speak to us. We're going to hear. We're going to do our sacrifices there. Okay. So God calls the mountains, the place perhaps where the people thought they were seeking God but not hearing from God, into an account against the people. These high places of worship where God said, I don't want you seeking me on your own, by yourself, isolated, and doing your own thing, thinking that you're reaching me when you're not. Because God's on the mountaintop, but he's also in the valley. He's everywhere at all times. His presence is manifest. Saying, I don't want you here, I want you together. But yet they, they don't do that. They're seeking God on their own, in their own ways, through their own ritualistic, religious stuff that they're doing. 
And I say that because it gives us a clue into the people's complaints. If the high places were still in operation during Micah's time, which they were, the people were going there to worship, probably with sincerity, because there are people who are trying to find God through religiosity, through their ritual, thinking they're touching God, but they're not at all, but they have sincere hearts. They want to know him, but they're seeking him in the wrong way. Just recently I saw a t-shirt. There's a woman walking around with a t-shirt that says, keep calm and trust St. Joseph to handle it. I said, first of all, St. Joseph ain't got nothing to do with you. And if, if he's in heaven, I don't know your saint, but if he's there, he ain't making intercession for you because there's only one who makes intercession for us, and his name is Jesus. And I believe this woman had a sincere heart wanting to know God, but she's seeking him in the wrong way and seeking others instead of seeking him. And perhaps... The people of God seeking God in these high places on the mountaintops with all sincerity, but they're not touching him because they're seeking through religious ritual, thinking that they're going to just make it happen for themselves. And perhaps they weren't getting what they thought they deserved as a part of their religious ritual. I've, I've seen this done, right? We do this today. People who think that they're going to get God's attention by how much they pray or how much they give. They're going to earn something from God. And I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do it multiple times. And I'm going to be repetitive. Or I'm going I'm to give a certain dollar amount. And that's going to make God pay attention to me. And I'm going to do this. And it's, all it is is religiosity trying to control God. But what happens when God doesn't respond to you when you've done all the things you thought you ought to do to get his attention? There becomes a complaint against the very God that you're seeking. And this is what's happening to these people. So God calls the mountains, the places where the people went to worship and perform ritualistic rites as a witness against them. And then in verse 3, he asks, what have I done to cause you to complain against me? Not what you have done to get my attention, but what do you think God has done that you can complain against me? So in verses 4 and 5, God briefly lays out a history of what he's done for the people. I won't read through the verses. I'll give you a synopsis. He tells them, look, I set you free from slavery in Egypt. Do you you remember? Your family, your ancestors, they were bound up in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. You know who set them free? I did, the God of Israel. He says, I redeemed you. He tells them, I've given you righteous leaders to lead you and guide you and teach you. He says, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, I set them over you. I've given you good people to help you find me. He says, I've delivered you from the enemies and I've broke every curse off of you. When Balaam When Balak hired Balaam to curse the people, God said, I turned it into a blessing. He says, I've broken you from the curse. I set you free from the curse. And then he says, in shorthand, by naming the boundaries, he says, I've I've allowed you to enter into the promise that I've given you. He says this in verses 4 and 5. All in an effort, he's trying to remind them, and he says this, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. You think I'm ignoring you? You think I've turned my back on you, but you've forgotten my character. 
you've forgotten who I am and how I operate. And he begins to tell the people, God says, you're complaining against me for not doing what you want or giving you what you think you deserve. But look what I've already done for you. He says, I've saved you, I've delivered you, I've redeemed you, I set good leaders over you to teach you and guide you, I broke the curse of the enemy off your life, I set you into the promise, and you still complain against me. Man, that's a heavy word. That's a convicting word to me. When things don't seem to be going the way I want them to go. When doors aren't opening the way that that I think they should. And I say, God, do you even care? God, do you even see? You say that you love, but I'm not feeling it. And yet I'm reminded, are you not saved? Don't you know my name? Have I not delivered you and broken off the curse off your life? Have I not walked you into the promise and blessed you? Hmm. I've done these things that you might know that I am good and that I am righteous, and yet you still doubt. Lord, help us. It's important to remember when you feel a complaint against God, which is normal. We are people. We get tired. We get frustrated. We get annoyed. Those elements sometimes cause us to complain. Anybody else besides me? No one else complains. <laughs> Come on. Sure we do. Come on. Starbucks messed up my drink again. It's not hard. Right? But we complain. Sometimes we lose our salvation over Americano. (laughs) Lord, help us. Sometimes we complain about against people. Sometimes we complain against God. And God lovingly, and I hope that you hear my voice here and hear the heart of the Father, He lovingly reminds us what has caused you. And He wants a response from us because He wants to remind us of His goodness even in the middle of our complaining. It's not like, how dare you? How dare you complain against me? I'm God. He's not some like, Medieval king in Monty Python who's like ready to backhand you. How dare you question me? And smack you. That's not our God. He's saying, sincerely, I hear you're complaining. My child, what has caused you to turn your heart from me and forget my goodness? That's what he says to us. In the middle of of our complaining, he says, remember how good I am. Remember my righteous acts. Recall all that I have done for you so that you can remember my goodness. So this gives us a context of what God is speaking to and who he's speaking and what he requires of us. And God is not just speaking to anyone. He's speaking to the redeemed. He's speaking to those that he has saved. In a modern context, he is speaking to followers of Jesus. He's speaking to the Christian in this text. 
especially to those who complain against God when things aren't going their way, even though they do everything right in their own eyes. And yet they get nothing of what they think they deserve. This is what he's saying. Because even in, in churches today, there's so much religion in the church that people think, I pray because I have to. I read his word because that's what a good Christian does. I give because I have to. Instead of saying, I remember your goodness and your righteousness, and I want to be with you, and I want to seek your face, and I want to know your voice, and I want to be generous as you've been generous. See, the motivation is different with religion than it is with relationships. I don't do it out of obligation. I know your commands, and there's blessing if you do it. That's where we get confused. There's blessing regardless of motivation. But yet God is saying, where is your heart in all of this? If you're a generous person, but you're doing it to get something, here's, I, it's, it's crazy, but God will still bless you because you're working in a kingdom principle. But your heart can be far from God and still be generous. Whew. You can read his word and you can be in it, but if your heart is not in it, then, then there's going to be blessing there. You're going to get some wisdom, but you're not going to know the God who wrote it. So this is what God says. Here's the response of the people back to God when God says, look what I've done for you. These are the things that I'm trying to remind you of my goodness. I'm trying to remind you of my righteousness. Because I've done all these things for you, and where is your heart? And here's their response now. See if it sounds familiar. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? That's heavy stuff. It starts out gradually, and within, within the context of what God actually commanded the people to do, yes, there should be sacrifice there. Yes, you should bring, as God commanded in the Old Testament before the cross, yes, you're going to bring a calf a year old for these sacrifices. There are going to be morning and evening sacrifices. There are going to be other things that are going to be happening. But all of a sudden, it begins to escalate. They're saying, but maybe that's not good enough. Maybe we should kill thousands of rams. Maybe we should pour out tens of thousands of rivers of oil before God. All the way up to where the people begin to say, should we even kill our own children? so that we, we would be forgiven. Now, some theologians think that, they, that they're speaking in hyperbolic language, which, are, which, which is to say that they're just uh, exaggerating their question. Like, to express how frustrated they are with God's lack of response. But I believe that they are probably asking in all sincerity because the people have been engaging in these kind of acts already. We know that they've been sacrificing their children to the other gods on the altars of Moloch. And they're saying, maybe our God will respond to this too. What do we need to do to get a response from you? 
And I think they're honestly asking that question again because they forgot the nature and the character of the God they claim to serve. Can I say that again if you're taking notes? I think they're asking this question in sincerity because they've forgotten the character and the nature of the God they claim to serve. And it put them in a real predicament. They thought the only way that they could please God was with more sacrifice and more religious ritual. And God says, "I I don't want that. I don't want that at all. In fact, Last week we read through Amos. And in Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24, God tells the people, I hate and I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. We talked about an aroma, right? Let incense rise. Do you know that religiosity stinks to God? But true worship is a sweet sound to him, a sweet, a sweet aroma to him. He tells the people, your assemblies, you're gathering together and what you're doing stinks even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings i will not accept them though you bring choice fellowship offerings i will not i will have no regard for them away with the noise of your songs i will not listen to the music of your harps but this is what he says but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream God told the people through the prophet Amos and others, and Micah states it again, I don't want religious rituals. They mean nothing to me if your heart is far from me. They mean nothing to me if you, still, if you do one thing and in, in public when you're, you're worshiping and singing your songs, but in private, you don't know me. Even in sincerity, you're trying, you're trying, but I'm telling you, that's not it. I don't want that. I want you. I want your heart. I want your voice. I want want you to know my goodness and my righteousness and my love. And then we get to Micah 6, 8. Micah tells the people, has he not told you, O man, O woman, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Remember, church, he's talking to those who are in the fellowship. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is what God requires of you. He's not talking to the world out there and giving them a map to earn his salvation. I've heard people say, people don't need to trust in Jesus. They just need to treat people good. They just need to be kind to one another. And they forget the last part, walking humbly with God. And they think, they can, they can, they can, live good lives. They're good people. They just got to do these things. But God's not telling the world, this is how you earn my love. No, he's saying to the people, because I've loved you and you've received my love as a free gift of salvation, now there are some requirements that I am asking of you. That you look like me. That you walk with me. If you say you love me, let my love flow through you to people. Because the church has been full of people who say they love God and they hate their neighbor. And Jesus says, nope, you got it wrong. Let's do it again. Let's try it again. I'm going to give you another shot. And this is what he's telling us through Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Love one another. Seek justice. 
walk humbly with me. He calls us as followers of him to live justly with others, to be merciful and to give a steadfast love to others and to walk in right, humble relationship with him. He's speaking to all of us who belong to him of what he requires of us, not as a means of earning something from him, not earning your salvation, but the expectation of those who are in relationship with him. And that's not abnormal to have expectations when you're in relationship with somebody. Right? Some people, how could God require anything of me? I don't know. Does your, your spouse require something of you when you're in relationship with them? Maybe you shouldn't go around chasing after other people. Hey, here's, uh, we're going to get married, but here's one requirement. Forsake all others, you know. Do your children, there's requirements of your children, and you require stuff of your children, right? They need food and shelter and love from you. You need them to take out the trash once in a while. <laughs> Come on. There are requirements, there are expectations in relationship. Why do we think that God doesn't expect anything from us in return for giving us everything through his son Jesus? And I want us to hear this too, church. This is not a heavy word. This is a word of saying God, God saying, church, <laughs> I've given you the ability to live higher. I've given you the, my love and my grace and my mercy and my spirit inside of you. And I want to see this transformation in my children. So let me write, let me, let me give you some points real quick if you're taking notes so you can write something down that says it. So you can show people you went to church today. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three points. I want you to write them down. First one is to act justly. Act justly. See, this would uh, this would have been understood in Micah's audience, the original audience that he was writing to, as living with a sense of right and wrong. Live justly. Treat people justly. Don't have. Uh, don't try to cheat them. Don't have a, a balance that's out of order. When you're selling goods or you're purchasing, you're trying to work out deals, have a sense of right and wrong. And he's even telling the people, particularly in the judicial courts, that they have a responsibility to treat people fairly, equally, and to protect the innocent. Because injustice was a problem in Israel during that time. You can look at Micah ch chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 6, where there was injustice for the poor, not caring for the downtrodden, and, not, and treating the rich better than the poor. And he's saying, no, God does not want that. Have a sense of right and wrong and live it out. It was a problem then. It's still a problem today. People not treating people fairly, justly. And God's saying, I care about justice. I care about it. But he also cares about loving kindness. Number two, to love kindness. It's also translated as loyal love or loving mercy towards others. See, along with justice, Israel was called to provide mercy because both justice and mercy are foundational to God's character. God is just, and he's also merciful. We see that in Jesus, right? God has to punish sin. He has to because he's a righteous God. No sin can go unpunished. He's just in that. But he's also merciful and sending his son Jesus to pay the price of our sin and take the punishment for us. He is just, but he's also merciful. And he wants his people to look that way too. 
to be just and to be merciful. God expected his people to show love to their fellow man and to be loyal to their love towards him, just as he's been loyal to them, loyal to us. The third point is to walk humbly. It's a description of the heart's attitude towards God. A description of a heart, the heart's attitude towards God to walk humbly. God's people depend on him rather than their own abilities. Micah chapter 2 talks about that, verse 3. The people depending on their own abilities rather than depending on God. But instead of taking pride in what we bring to God, religion, religiosity, we humbly recognize that no amount of personal sacrifice can replace a heart committed to justice and to love and to mercy. See, religion says, look what I've done for God. A humble relationship with God says, look at what God has done for me. Can I say that again? Write that down. Take your phones out. Press record. Religion says, look at what I've done for God. A humble relationship with God says, look what God has done for me. And if we can keep a heart of humility, even in our struggle, even in our frustration, even in our complaint, we'll be reminded it's not what I've done for God, it's what he's done for me. Because if we think about and we focus on only what I've done for God, what I've sacrificed for you, what I've done there, we begin to get off track and we forget what God has done for us. So the response of a, a, a godly heart is three things. It's outward with justice. Inward with loving mercy towards others. And upward walking humbly with God. So we're going to write that down. It's outward, inward, and upward. Outward, seeking justice for others. Inward, loving them and loving God. And upward, walking humbly with Him. See, the message of Micah is still important and powerful today. Religious rites and rituals, no matter how extravagant, can never compensate for a lack of love. That's not just an Old Testament principle. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Without love, you have nothing. You're just a noisy symbol. Though you talk with the tongues of angels, yet you have love, you are nothing. God is saying, I don't care about your thinking how religious you are, how good you are. If you're not loving people and you're not being loyal and loved to me, it's worthless. Because I love you so much. I've called you into relationship with me. I want you to recognize my love for you and what I've done. I want you to hang on. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to have complaints, but even in the middle of it, be just, be merciful, and walk humbly with me. See, following religious rules is not of any value to, in God's eyes as much as a humble heart is that simply does what's right. I just want to encourage somebody today. you're frustrated and you're, you think you have to get God's attention, so 
you're saying, what do I have to do? I gotta, I gotta clean my life up. I gotta do this. I gotta do X, Y, Z. I gotta make sure so that God's not angry with me. And God's saying, no, no, it's simple. Recognize my love for you. I love you. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just need to have a humble heart and do what's right. And I see you and I love you. See, God's people today will continue to, do, to desire justice, mercy, and humility before our God. This is what I believe God is doing in our midst. I believe God is moving on our hearts, filling us with his power, with his compassion, and his grace. These powerful movements of God that we've been having on Wednesdays and Sundays is not so that we can walk around having goosebumps but because he's wanting to fill us with mercy, love, grace, and compassion, filling us with words to encourage and to uplift and to pour out before others so that we might see their hearts turn back to Jesus too, so that they might know who God is and that he's calling them into relationship with him, not through religious ritual, but through relationship with him. So let's continue to pursue after him. Because God's breaking down religious walls and he's showing us his heart today. As the worship team comes, we'll close our time out with prayer. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Perhaps God is whispering you today. Where is your heart? What has caused you to turn away from me? What has caused you to get so frustrated, so hurt, that instead of turning to me, you've turned from me? You don't need to earn my love. You don't have to jump through all these hoops. I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. I don't require religious ritual from you. I require relationship with you. Accept my love. Accept my forgiveness. Accept my freedom. If you're here this morning under the sound of my voice and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that you can say, I know Jesus. I experienced his freedom. I've encountered his love. If that's you today, and you want to have that encounter with Jesus, and you want to know him, then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to accept Jesus. One, he's here right now. Two, he's tugging on your heart you right now, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. If I could have the prayer team come, if you'll come right now. Those of you who raised your hands, would you stand to your feet this morning so that I can pray with you?
now that you're standing, I would invite you to come down to one of these individuals right up front. Come on down, and we're going to pray together. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Those of you who came down front, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I'm to bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord and say, Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. I ask you now to save me, to forgive me, to transform my heart, and to set me free. Forgive me of my sin. Today, I turn to you, and I'll live for you. Teach me to know your voice and to obey your voice. I love you, Jesus. And I thank you for your love. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it.